There we go. I'm on now. All right. Well, welcome. As Dusty said, my name is uh, Tony Spranger, and I am an area representative for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And um, when Pastor Jim asked me to share this morning, uh, he said, I want you to take some time, introduce yourself, introduce your ministry, and then, uh, and then preach. I'm like, okay. And so I just want to take a minute here and introduce myself and my family. Um, we've been attending Harvest for almost three years now, um, but a lot of times I'm stuck up in the booth. And I shouldn't say stuck, I'm serving in the booth. And um, my kids and fa wife and family are uh, either in the back row because uh, we're big people. And so we block views. And so, um, and we're big headed folk too. Not my wife, not my wife, <laughs> but me. And, and so I'm pretty conscious of it. So I try to stay towards the back. So I just want to introduce myself. Um, there should be a picture up here of my family, so that way you guys can see us and recognize us. So, um, so this, is my, this is my crew. Uh, so the curly one in the middle is Caleb. Uh, he's 19 uh, in a, going into a second year of Blackhawk. Uh, then the one in front of him in the gray hoodie is Benjamin. Ben is nine, eight, eight, yeah, yeah, something like that. He's born in 11, so yeah, nine, yeah, nine, okay. And um, he's a, going into fourth grade. And then Rebecca... Um, she will be eight next week, and then my wife, and then Joshua, who is 17, going on 18 next month, and just graduated from Orient High School. Um, my wife and I were actually um, high school sweethearts. We've been married for 23 years. Um, yeah, so um, we finally feel like our, our age and responsibility, or our caught up to the years in marriage. Like when we were celebrating our 10-year anniversary, we were like, 29 years old, and it was just one of those types of things where we just never felt like we're young at heart and young, and so it was just a good thing. Um, we affectionately refer to the, the group as the A team and the B team, so Caleb and Joshua are the A team, and then the little ones are the B team, so if you ever hear us talking about them, you will you'll might hear that reference used, and uh, it's eerie as to how similar the groups are, and uh, it's been neat as a father and as, as a parent just to see them the older ones gravitate to one of the younger ones or vice versa and see how they interact. So before I came on staff with FCA, I was a youth pastor for uh, 10 years at a church in Osco, Illinois. Uh, and one of the things that I did there, because if you've ever been to Osco, you know that you have to be going to Osco in order to go through Osco. Um, uh, yeah. I, before I got the, interviewed at the job, I actually drove out to Osco because I'd never been there before and I didn't believe that it was actually in existence. So, um, so I drove out to Osco, but um, there's, <laughs> there's no schools or anything in Osco. And so in order for, as a youth pastor who is very extroverted, I like people, uh, I, I needed to get into the communities. And so one of the ways that I did that was through coaching. So for eight years, I coached middle school girls basketball uh, at Orion. And then I also coached track for three years, and that was just because there was a need. Uh, it was one of those things where I did not run track. I am not a runner. Uh, and, uh, and so, but I enjoyed working with students, and they said, the kids like you, we'll take you. So, um, so a lot of times the track coaches would go and do track drills and like, Tony, go play sharks and minnows. Like, <laughs> I can do that. So, and then I also taught, uh, substitute taught. Um, for several years. I still do it today. I love being in the schools and, and serving in that capacity. Um, part of the thing as to why I do it now is I was working at Dick's Sporting Goods 
uh, part-time uh, when, when COVID hit. And as we were coming back into school, I have a lot of friends who are teachers and administrators, and I just saw the need. And they're saying that they're desperate for subs. And, uh, and so I, just, I saw this need, and I missed being in the school system, and so I started substitute teaching again. But through all of that, God used those roles to grow a burden in my heart, but not just for students, but it was for coaches and administrators uh, as well. You know, I got to see, as a, from a coach's perspective, both sides of it. The pressure that comes, uh, I shouldn't say pressure, but pressure that comes from the administration side, from the parent side, from the student side. I could see all the different sides that a coach uh, is facing and the decisions that were being made um, based on the pressures that they were under. And so... Um, when I jumped on board with FCA, um, there's a, there's a quote that we use by Billy Graham, and it says that a coach could impact more lives in one year than most can in a lifetime. And then he challenged the audience with this question, who is coaching the coach? And so this is where FCA comes in. And now this, uh, I don't know if you guys know, if you're not from the area, this is Larry and Travis Anderson, and they're the freshman, sophomore coaches at Orion High School. And when I talk about a coach impacting the lives of a player, uh, they had a huge impact on my boy's life. And so we'll kind of get into that in a little bit later, but um, it's so true. It's so true. When you think about in a school district or in a season, you know, the two strongest words that come out of a student's mouth is, yeah, well, coach says. Coach says. Man, if coach says it, it's going to be true. Or if coach says it, I got to do it. And so, but who's coaching the coach? And so the vision of FCA is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. And our mission is to lead every coach and athlete into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. Now, having been an athlete growing up, coached for eight years, and now have two graduated high school students, athletes in my house, I can appreciate and understand uh, FCA's strategy in to and through the coach. And one of the, some of the ways that they do this, they minister, is um, it's threefold. There's one, coaches. Just got a point, yeah. So there's coaches, all right? So up in this top left corner is uh, uh, a coaches Bible study that we started in the Orient School District. Um, and so I meet with these coaches at 8 a.m. every Saturday morning, and uh, we, we just, we, we walk through God's word. And there's, there's a couple questions that we ask each week, and one of it is, what does this say about God? What does this say about man? And then, are there any commands that we should be obeying? You know, we try to make it applicable, and so we just walk through a chapter at a time, and it's fascinating to hear the different um, backgrounds and ideas. And I mean, honestly, we kind of tease and joke each other about it, because we say our Bible study sounds like the, the opening to a joke, you know, because uh, there's a couple from the, a Catholic background, uh, a gentleman from a Lutheran background, a gentleman from an, a, 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 another Lutheran background, and then myself, who actually, actually, I actually have a charismatic background. And so to bring us all into this fold, it's like, you know, a Catholic, a Lutheran, and a charismatic walk into the coffee shop. And, <laughs> but it's a great conversation, and God is really using it to open and challenge um, us in our walk of faith and how to apply it to the coaching circle in life, and it's just, it's fun doing life with them, because um, one of them's expecting, you know, and to be able to walk with them, to have them, you know, talk about the nervousness and excitement of expecting their first child, and other life events um, could be happening, and so it's just fun to do that. Another way that we, another fold of our ministry is uh, camps, and so uh, right after today, Joshua and I are going to be 
going home, changing clothes, and jumping in a car and driving to Pella, Iowa to join campers for the next week uh, as, we, as we reopen FCA camp and where we will have 270 campers uh, descend on Pella, Iowa and the Central College campus. And there will be football, basketball, cross country, golf, tennis, baseball, uh, just a number of variety of sports. And the coolest thing about camps that we experienced um, when my boys went for the first time in 2018 was, how many of you guys have ever been to church camp? Okay, so everybody, if you've ever been to church camp, you kind of understand that sometimes games just get goofy. You know, like, hey, who can suck this pudding cup through a stocking the quickest? And you're going, what? And like, yeah, let's mattress surf across the sanctuary. And it's like, it's a relay race and don't die. And, but the thing with FCA camp is, it's like church camp, except for instead of playing goofy games, you get to focus on a sport of your choice. And so, you know, it's not just sports. The, the camp director, the staff that are there, they take the spiritual side of camp so much more important and put so much more emphasis on it than um, the sports side of it that the sports are secondary. And so kids are coming into the camp, they're working on a sport, they're learning life lessons, they're learning about their faith, they're being presented with the gospel and how they can live that out through the sports world. And so camps are a great, great, great experience, and uh, I'm excited to get to go and be a part of it this year. And then the third fold of the ministry is down in the bottom right corner, and that's our campus. And that's our campus ministry, and that's what we call huddles. And huddles are student-led Bible studies on school campuses. You know, people say that God is not on campus, but the reality is is that if, if the students want to lead it, God can be on that campus. And so we are challenging and encouraging students to lead a Bible study or a devotional uh, of their peers and to their peers. And so this picture, you can't tell it, but that is a group of 65 middle school students in their first year as a huddle at Orient Middle School. Um, you know, so you, you sit there and you think, ah, oh, middle school kids, bah, I love middle school kids. They're so raw and authentic and they laugh at my jokes and it's a beautiful thing and... <laughs> And, um, but yeah, first year at the Orange Middle School campus, they had 65 students that crammed into this Bible, crammed into this room. And we're not talking, it wasn't because of the food, you know, it was a long john donut and water, you know, but they came and, and here's the thing is like adults were there as supervisors to make sure they don't break anything, but otherwise it's students do it. And so they're planning the lesson with the adult supervision, and they're presenting it, and they're pro providing the games and things like that. And so it's just an opportunity for students to prepare and grow in their faith and amidst their peers. So they're gathering, and they're praying, and they're, they're wearing their t-shirts to encourage other students to come. And so it's just a great opportunity. And the other thing that happens is, and what a lot of people don't realize, is that the Ministry of Fellowship of Christian Athletes is actually um, donor-supported. It's, it's ran by volunteers, but the staff is uh, very similar to um, missionaries in that we have, we're like missionaries to the sports culture. And so we're trying to get on the sidelines of, camp, uh, of sports teams to talk to coaches, to, to minister to coaches, to almost be chaplains to the coaches, to, to coach the coach. And so um, one of the ways that you can, there's several ways that you can support the ministry of FCA, um, and that's through one <laughs> prayer, all right, prayer. It was, it was the, during COVID, uh, you know, 
you couldn't go to the schools. You couldn't go to the coaches. And so you'd call and you'd check in on them and say how they're doing. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, those poor athletes. And I had one of those athletes. All right, my son, grad, Caleb, graduated in the midst of COVID. He had his entire track season ripped away from him his senior year. So I understand all the athletes, but the coaches were hit just as hard. And so you check on the coaches because these, they, they coach. It's not because of the pay. They coach because of the passion and love of the sport and the students. And so you can pray. You can volunteer. Um, one of the things that I'm doing this year is I'm trying to use my background in history. And as a youth pastor, I am um, pursuing other youth pastors to uh, get engaged with uh, the campus ministry and to plug in and to be leaders. So Dusty's working with me this year, and we're going to try and work on Alwood and maybe even Rova, even though Adam doesn't know it yet. Um, and so, <laughs> um, and, uh, and to try, try to get huddles reestablished. You know, a lot of this year, this upcoming year is going to be reestablishing several huddles. And so, um, but to work, to, to volunteer, whether, and if you have a child in Alwood or Rova or uh, any of the school districts where you hear that there's a huddle, they need people to provide breakfasts. Um, Maybe even um, gather in, uh, to drive occasionally if we do like an event or activity. Um, so there's ways that you can volunteer um, in that capacity. Also, a financial support, whether it be a one-time gift or a monthly reoccurring gift of financial, just like you would a missionary who's overseas. If you would like to support um, the ministry of FCA, uh, you can do that through the, as well. Or even if just simply to buy a case of Bibles for the huddles. All right? We make sure that if there's a student that comes into the, the fold of the huddle, that they get a Bible. And it's a great resource, and, and not, but it's got all sorts of different um, growth tools within the Bible. So um, if you would like more information on that, back on the Welcome Center, there's these cards. And in it's a gift, uh, support card. It'll just give you um, a little bit more information on, on the ministry of FCA. And so with that being said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and transition into my sermon. So can you join me in a word of prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and to see how it can challenge us this morning. God, I pray that the words coming out of my mouth would not be mine, but they would be yours. I pray that you would open up the hearts to receive it and ears to hear it. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're getting ready to drive to camp uh, this week, today, and um, and so each year, FCA releases a theme, a ministry theme for the upcoming school year. And this year's theme is Pursue. And so uh, when Pastor Jim asked me to speak, told me the date, I said, can I do this? He goes, yep. And so what I'd like to do is just kind of share the verse that this ministry theme is based out of this year. And it's just kind of how we might be able to um, apply it to our lives. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy 6.11. Um, and we're going to just kind of camp out there. And so uh, 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. All right? Now, we're kind of towards the back of the book of Timothy. It's toward the back of the Bible. Uh, I thought I'd give some introduction into Timothy. Um, first, Timothy comes from a, um, his mom was of Jewish descent, and his father was Greek. Uh, so he has, has a, a mixed culture. Uh, Timothy came to faith through a previous missionary journey of Paul's. Uh, and that's why in some of these translations you'll see Timothy call him my true son of faith. 
But he joined Paul on So after he came to faith in one of the missionary journeys, uh, we see in Acts 16, he joins Paul on a missionary journey because he was uh, encouraged and suggested to go with t- Paul um, based on this, uh, the, the leadership of that ch- local church. And so basically, Timothy becomes Robin to Paul's Batman. And so um, he becomes a sidekick. He's a partner in the ministry. Uh, but Paul is really poured into Timothy's life. And so um, the book of Timothy is a part of a group of books called the Pastoral Epistles. And they were set apart because they were written to um, the leadership of the church and not necessarily to the churches themselves. So the Pastoral Epistles were written to the church leaders. And it was Paul's way of trying to deal with situations and issues that were rising up in the church through those in leadership. And so Timothy was written to Timothy as he was spearheading and leading the church in Ephesus, or in, uh, in, yeah, Ephesus. And so Paul was hearing murmurs of false teachings and bubbling up through the leadership and was trying to squash it through Timothy uh, until he was able to return and to deal with it in person. And this was a huge task, but because of Timothy's spiritual growth, Paul had faith that Timothy could do this. And so we see in previous verses that the purpose that, Tim, that Paul was trying to communicate to Timothy was in chapter 1, he said to stop those who are teaching contrary to the truth. Uh, in verse 19, he says to prevent those who have shipwrecked their faith from leading others astray. And then in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he instructs Timothy on how people must conduct themselves in the household of God until Paul returns. So leading up, up to our verse today, Paul has challenged Timothy to teach the truth and encourage everyone to obey it. But what are those truths? Well, we find that uh, Paul tells Timothy that the, he wants him to teach, uh, do the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Because what we're happening is some of the, the, the leadership of the church are bringing up these false teachings. And so some of the teachings are contradicting the teachings of Jesus. And so Paul is challenging Timothy, teach present the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, He said, because they promote a godly life, where those false teachers that were mentioned earlier were arrogant and lacked understanding. Um, These false teachers, they had an unhealthy desire to argue over the meanings of words. I love simple arguments, said no one ever. Um, 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 these arguments, they stirred up jealousy, they stirred up division, slander, and even evil suspicions, all right? Uh, these false teachers were always causing trouble, uh, the corrupt minds, and they had turned their back on the truth. And then Paul has also challenged them that these false teachers, that um, for them, godliness was simply a way to become wealthy. And so Paul was challenging Timothy to combat these with the truth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you look at our verse, look how Paul addresses Timothy. He says, you, O man of God. Doesn't seem like much because Paul's always greeting people in his letters, but he says, you, O man of God. And this is one of the greatest titles that Paul could bestow upon Timothy, and it was not used lightly. This statement, this phrase was not used very often in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was reserved for the the VIPs of VIPs in some, some circles. Now you think about it. And so in Deuteronomy 33, Moses is called a man of God. In Psalm 90, that's simply titled the prayer of Moses, the man of God. And then in 2 Samuel 2, Eli's messenger was called a man of God. 
In 1 Samuel 9, Samuel has described himself as a man of God. So this title is given to the men who proclaim the word of God, the word that God had given them. And Paul wanted Timothy to step into that role. Paul does not remind Timothy of his weakness or his sins, but he lifts him up by telling him what he wants him to be. And he did not bring up his past, but spoke into his future. Now, in middle school, growing up, I was a big kid. I was not the quickest of foot. I was not the highest of jumpers. I was not the best of shooters. I was mediocre at best. But I loved basketball. And I played for a cross-country coach. Never do that if you don't. <laughs> Especially if you don't like to run. All right? But I played for a cross-country coach, and we were running stairs one day in middle school. And, um, and we're come back into the gym. We're sitting on the floor, just kind of hanging out, catching our breath. And he's kind of walking the court, talking to us and everything. And, and in the midst of it, he stops, and he looks, and he points to me. and says, mark my words, gentlemen. When Tony Spranger's in high school, he will start varsity basketball. Now, you got to understand, there were 22 guys on this team in middle school. We had a guy that was six foot four in eighth grade. I was maybe 5'8 at best. And, and so they kind of chuckled. I'm not going to lie, I chuckled too. Because I'm like, yeah, right. And he goes, no. He goes, he will start varsity as when he's in high school, because he's like a puppy St. Bernard. He's just big when he's young, and he's going to get bigger. And I didn't think much of it at the time. I mean, I was at the end of the bench. I was helping the, the managers with stats. I knew more cheers than I did plays. It was, it, it, it was that I had that type of role, and so it was that, that was my reality. But when I did get into high school, I did grow. And um, by the end of my sophomore year... At Moline, I was starting varsity. Uh, and, and so I don't say it because he said it was so, but that has always stuck in my head. You know, we're talking about a conversation that happened probably early in the morning because we had to do morning practices in middle school. All right, I'm going to celebrate my 25th class reunion this summer. And so we're talking, so we're talking close to 30 years ago. But that still rings true in my head today that I still remember what he said. And so just like that coach spoke into my life, Paul is speaking into Timothy's life. But as, as Paul had, or as Timothy had Paul speaking in his life, there's also the enemy making these whispers and leadership making whispers. And so if we look at it, you know, the enemy is kind of like the little angels, uh, angels and demons on the shoulders, right? In one ear, you got the devil chirping. He's saying, you are unlovable. But God says, you are loved. And in John 3, 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The devil says, you're pointless. You're useless. But God says, I created you with a purpose. And in Esther 4, we, we see Esther struggling with this. And she says, perhaps this is the moment for which you've been created. The devil says, I'm a failure. But God says, I am victorious in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he says, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. The enemy says, you're alone. But God says, I am with you. 
In Joshua 1.9, as Joshua is getting ready to take over for Moses and lead the people into the promised land, he says, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then Jesus, in the end of Matthew, right before he goes up into, goes, returns to heaven, you know, he just commissions the disciples to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And his last command was, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Now, I'm pretty sure the disciples are nervous about what was coming and this, this command that he'd given them. Even if it was from Jesus, they're priceless still nervous. So to hear him, them say that I'm with you always to the very end of age was probably an encouraging word. But the question is, is which are we going to believe? The enemy who brings up your weaknesses and your past mistakes? Or are we going to believe God who knows you, believes in you, has a plan for you, and created you? All that just from the greeting of you, O man of God. But as we continue in our verse, Paul says, you, O man of God, flee these things. And he's talking about the false teachings. Um, Now, what does it mean to flee? The word used here is where we get our modern day word, the fugitive from. All right. So when you think about Paul's instruction to flee, it's not prancing away through the flowers of the, 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 the fields. But it's to run. It's to flee. It made me think of the movie uh, that starred Harrison Ford back in the 90s called The Fugitive. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this one. You know, uh, it's, it's a, Harrison Ford is on the run. He's been falsely accused of murdering his wife, I believe, if I remember right. All right. But if you're younger and you're younger or you just don't like these kind of scary movies, feel free to think of the movie Home with the little alien and, and person. You know, Both of these movies were fugitives on the run trying to right the wrongs, all right? Um, But they did whatever they needed to be done in order not to get captured. And so that's what, when we hear the word to flee from these things, we need to run. We need to be like Harrison Ford jumping off of a flaming train that crashed or in the water pipe tube that's way far down and he jumps off of it because he's trying to escape uh, the cop that's chasing him. Or the little alien guy who's just goofy. And so if you've never seen that movie, I'd encourage you to watch it. It's a great movie. Um, but he does, you know, him and, and that young lady, they do whatever they can to try to, uh, to see her mom. And what they're trying to re, re, um, inter, uh, put them back together again. They're like Legos. I can't come up with that word. I'm sorry. All right. But so we see this word flee, all right? And we're to flee these things, these false teachings. But in the following verses, after verse 11, it says, Paul says to even to fight the good fight for truth, to hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, to obey the command without wavering, all right? These are instructions from a man that has been through it all and knows what is about to come for his young Padawan, all right? So if we think of Paul's instruction in this verse like a coin, On one side of it, he's telling Timothy to flee these false teachings and arguments with these people. But then on the other side of that coin, he tells Paul, or he tells Timothy to pursue. And one definition of pursue is that I found, described it as to hunt or to follow zealously. And I really like that imagery of to hunt or to follow. It makes me think of um, a lion kind of hunting its prey, all right? It might be moving slowly, but it's definitely moving with a purpose and it's moving with direction, all right? And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. He's telling him to hunt these things that will allow you to hold tightly to eternal life, to fight the good fight and to obey without wavering. These things he is supposed to pursue will set him apart 
from the false teachers that infiltrated the church. So the first thing that he tells Timothy to pursue is righteousness. Righteousness is to do what is right in the eyes of God, to live in obedience to God's word. All right, the message the false teachers were presenting and the message the world presents today aren't too far off. Get rich. Solves all your problems. Buy the shiny new toy. Do what makes you happy. Make sure people know when you disagree with them. And it doesn't matter who you have to throw under the bus, you get you. But Paul tells Timothy just the opposite. He wants Timothy to live with an eternal perspective, to pursue what is right in the eyes of God. So how are we made right in the eyes of God? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Paul was hearing what was the false teachers were suggesting. They were adding all sorts of do's and don'ts to the message of Jesus. Paul knew that the only thing that would make someone right was Jesus Christ. He called himself the Jew of all Jews. He followed all of the do's and all of the don'ts, and yet he was still unrighteous. He was not made right until he had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. After his encounter, he traveled around preaching and teaching the message of Jesus, and believers started to gather in places through it, and then the disciples' teachings as well. They weren't teaching the do's and don'ts of faith, but the ifs and thens. If you are made right through Jesus, then do this. And that is why Paul is starting this encouragement to Timothy with pursue righteousness, because it all starts with Jesus and builds off of that. Which brings me to my second point of things to pursue. Godliness. We need to pursue godliness. Or in the New Living Translation, a godly life. In Romans 6, Paul wrote, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve the sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. When confronted with the question of which is the greatest commandment, Jesus responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. I found it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, this is how you love. All right? He doesn't give us the step-by-step on how. Jesus, being fully God, fully man, having created us all, knows that we are all wired differently. And how that love for God and for our neighbors expressed will appear differently to different people. The religious leaders wanted things in a cookie-cutter mold. And they were throwing, and Jesus came in and threw a big old monkey wrench into their system. So when we are made right in, the, in God's eyes and begin this pursuit of godliness or a godly life, what does it look like? I'm not sure about you, but I like to have things that are tangible that I can grab onto and, and hold onto. And, and I believe that that's why uh, when I heard the verse from 1 Timothy 4.12 when I was in high school, it really stuck with me. It's a verse that I, I've shared uh, anytime I spoke to students. I had it written on my book bag when I was in high school. And it's just one of been my life verse, even though I'm in, in some people's eyes, <coughs> my children, I'm no longer young, <laughs> but um, they remind me of that regularly. You old, Dad. Um, but uh, it's been my, still, still my favorite scripture verse and still my life verse. Um, I just take out the part where he says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Um, but reality is the whole verse says, 
Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but set an example for all believers in your speech, life, love, purity, and faith. So I've always used that verse as a way to, to uh, measure my walk, to, uh, to, you know, am I growing in my faith? And so, you know, will people know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ by my speech? Are my words encouraging? Are they uplifting? Are they optimistic? Do they point to Christ? Will they know that I'm a follower of Jesus by my life? Will they know that I'm a follower of Jesus by how I love and treat those around me? Will they know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ by my purity, by what I allow through my eyes and my ears? But then also will they, allow, will they know that I'm a follower of Christ by my faith? Or when people see, see me and they hear that, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, and they do that confused dog look, huh? You know, the head's going like this, you know? Does your life cause that type of reaction with the confused dog look, or does your life cause like, oh, that makes sense. How do I get that? And it provides an opportunity for you to share your life, share your story, and share how Christ has impacted you with those people. Now, I say that, but I promise you I don't have it all together. Um, still struggle with some of this stuff. And so just for full transparency, all right, um, when, I was, when my boys were in middle school, they were playing football. You see, I, as a coach, I, could f- I figured out how to talk to the officials. I talked to them, you know, pulled them over. I didn't yell at them. I just talked to them. Hey, come here, come here, come here. Put my hand around them. What did you see there, you know, and, and just talked to them and had a conversation. And we had a good time, you know. Um, But as a parent, you don't have the luxury of putting your hand around an official. You'll get kicked out. (laughs) Not that I've tried, but, um, and so, but at a football game for Joshua, he was in middle school, so it's important, right? Um, He's on the the side of the field where we can see, he's he's an end, and this young man on the other team is holding him. And at one point, he finally grabs him around the shoulder pads, spins him around three times like they're playing Ring Around the Rosie, and then throws him down. And I just simply stated at a loud volume, will you please call the hold that is happening in front of your face? And the ref says, quiet up there. And I said, well, if you would just do your job, I wouldn't have to tell you how to do it. They threw a flag on me of unsportsmanlike conduct. You can't throw a flag on the crowd, for one. So I should have been kicked out, but I wasn't. But what I was was I was extremely convicted of my actions. I was extremely convicted. As soon I just sat down, turned bright red, and went, I am sorry. So all the parents thought it was funny. They thought it was funny. They're like, one parent goes, I got the picture to prove that you were right, Tony. It's not about that. But I was convicted. And so I had to take some time and repent and pray. And then I went to school the next day, and I grabbed a bag of Little Debbie cakes and took them up to the football practice. And uh, the coach saw me come and started smiling because he knew what had happened and uh, saw the grocery bag and figured what was going to happen. And, um, and But I said, Coach, after they were getting ready to break out, I said, Coach, can I just have a minute? He goes, yeah. So I just, and I apologized. And to a group of middle school students, I said, will you forgive me? 
So we like to apologize a lot of times. But when we're in the wrong, we forget the whole part, will you forgive me? And I said, will you forgive me? This is not the example that I want to set for you guys or your parents. Will you please forgive me? They're like, what's in the bag? <laughs> I said, little Debbie's. like, yeah, you're forgiven. <laughs> you know? So, so I, I wish I could say that I learned from that, but I didn't. There's a picture of me standing in a basketball station gym, varsity level, probably a regional game. It was a bit, you know, it was a, it was a pretty crowded, but I'm embarrassed of the picture, but it, I'm going <laughs> like this. My wife is turning around laughing because she knows the picture because I'm, because it's one of those, what are you doing type of moments, poses. And, um, and so I, again, I, I would leave multiple ga- basketball games convicted. I never got a penalty on or a foul or anything on me from the stands. And I actually, I will say this one, I did have a ref laugh with me. You know, I used to sit right at the middle, right at the half court, you know, because I wanted the kids to hear me and the refs to hear me too, you know. And part of it was because I knew the coaches were over there. And because I know all about basketball, because I'm, I was a basketball coach at middle school level for eight years, I know a lot about basketball. And so I'd sit over on the half court, and I would, so that way I could cheer and clap and encourage them from this side as the coaches were doing it from the other side. And, but in the midst of me getting excited about them playing and trying to encourage them and get them fired up, I get fired up and I get caught in the moment and I start yelling at the officials. And so there was one call um, that the, <laughs> they made this call, and the ref, you know, after they make all the shooting, the free throws, and I just kind of went, man, how did you miss that call? You were in my way, and I still saw it. And he goes, what did you say? I said, how did you miss that call? You were blocking my view and I still saw it. He goes, good one. He gives me a fist pound and runs off. So I'm like, okay, we're good. We're good. You know, but it still caused me like, okay, Tony, you need to calm down. You, got, you can't take, you know, Marcy knows I got to get my blood pressure medicine. And so I, 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 she always knows basketball season. She throws a couple extra pills in there for me. But um, she doesn't, just for the record, in case anybody out there is seeing this, she does not give me extra pills. Um, but it's still one of those things where I moved up some rows, tried to sit away from the action so that way I wouldn't get so engaged into it and get excited about it. Um, but yeah, so, so what kind of example are we setting? All right, We are faced with the hundreds of decisions a day, and we can choose, and what we choose will paint a very clear picture of what we're striving towards. It becomes evident in how we act, how we relate to others, and what we do with our time. So pursue righteousness, pursue godliness or a godly life, but then also, we're going to combine a couple here, faith and steadfastness, all right? Faith and steadfastness. Faith is simply confident trust in God, loyal to God through highs and lows. Steadfastness is the ability to bear up under difficult and painful circumstances, victorious endurance, and does not allow life to conquer them. And that's why I combine these two words, because they're very similar at the root of them. Um, I like the way John MacArthur described um, this. He says, um, steadfastness does not describe a passive fatalistic resignation, but a victorious, triumphant, unswerving loyalty to the Lord in the midst of trials. An unswerving loyalty to the Lord in the midst of trials. One of the more recent trials that my family has faced is with my son Joshua. Uh, while at FCA camp, he um, collided knees with a young man. 
And if you've ever collided knees with somebody else, you know this. It's an uncomfortable situation. And, and so uh, he was sore. And, and so I said, hey, I've done it before. I know you're hurting. I said, it's probably just a deep bone bruise, so we'll be okay. And so uh, he finished camp, uh, went through the summer. And about three, four weeks later, he goes, Dad, my knee's still bugging me. And so I'm like, all right, bud, I think we've been rubbing dirt on it long enough. Let's go to the doctor and, and see what's going on. And so we go to the doctor. And we find out that Joshua suffers from what they call osteocondyle defect. And what it is, is the, the, the non-doctoral version that I can explain the best is if the condyle is like the foundation behind the knee bone. And there was a lack of blood flow to this area. And so when Joshua collided knees with this young man, he actually chipped a bone loose. And, um, and so on his 16th birthday... He found out that he was going to have to have knee surgery and miss his entire junior year. And he had just had a great sophomore year. Uh, he, he did well in soccer. He had earned a starting spot at the varsity level for basketball. Uh, he was throwing for shot and discus and track. And so his world just came to a sudden halt. And on his 16th birthday, instead of getting a license, he got crutches and an immobilizer. And a week later, he had surgery. And so we get home, we're celebrating dinner, celebrating his birthday, and, and my brother calls him. Well, I had asked him on the way home, I said, you all right, pal? He goes, yeah, I'm fine, Dad. I said, are you sure? He goes, yeah. I said, you just found out you're going to have major knee surgery on your 16th birthday. You don't get your license because it was his right knee or his right leg. I said, you're going to, you sure you're okay? He goes, yeah, I'm fine, Dad. I said, okay. And I'm not one to push, all right? And so we're sitting at dinner, and my brother calls me. He says, hey. I said, what's up? He goes, I just had a conversation with your son. I said, well, I hope so. It's his birthday. And uh, he goes, no, dummy. He goes, I had a conversation with him. I said, okay. He goes, and so he tells me that he asked him the same question. Hey, how you doing, pal? Happy birthday. How you doing? He goes, I'm fine, Uncle Kenny. Uh, he goes, no, really, how you doing? He went through the same questions that I did. And Joshua kept answering, I'm fine, Uncle Kenny, I'm fine, Uncle Kenny. And then finally, my brother pestered him one more time. And he goes, Uncle Kenny, he says, for whatever, I, he says, Uncle Kenny, I'm fine. He goes, I believe that God has a plan for my life. And for whatever reason, this is part of it. And so, I'm trusting in God's plan, and I'm fine. And I went, I, said, I told him, my son said that? He goes, yeah, your son. I said, I got to go. And so I hung up, went back into his room, because he was on his bed, just chilling with an ice pack. I said, buddy, did you have a conversation with Uncle Kenny? And he goes, yeah. So what did you say? And he tells me, and he tells me what he told us. My brother, and I said, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. And so... We think this whole rehab thing is going to be quick. You know, the doctor kind of tells us it's going to be, you know, six-month process. We'll be good to go. So I'm thinking back in dad's brain, I'm going, okay, so we're going to miss soccer. We'll miss the first half of basketball. And then um, we'll get back to second semester. And, and we'll be good. We'll be good. I'll get back to playing. I just wanted because I wanted to see my boys do what they enjoyed doing. As parents, you understand that we want to see our children enjoy what they're doing. And my boys enjoyed playing sports, and so I wanted him to be able to experience that joy. In the selfish dad side of me, Caleb was a senior. Joshua was a junior. They both could have been starting varsity that year. 
And so as a dad, I've been waiting since they picked up a basketball. Like, oh, I can't wait to watch these two play sports together someday. And my friend goes, man, that must be hard. I didn't even think about it. I had, I had, I had the situation separate in my brain. We're going to just get Joshua through the knee surgery. We're going to get Caleb into a senior year. And my buddy goes, man, that must be hard. You've been looking forward to watching these two play sports since they were little, and now they can't. I went, oh. In the middle of Panera, I started crying into my Italian beef, you know. <laughs> but I say that because we get, to, we get to December, and it doesn't pan out. It doesn't work. His rehab, we had to go get second and third opinions, and we finally got the answers that we needed. He goes, oh, no. He goes, from day one, I could have, this third doctor says, I could have told you it was going to be a nine-month recovery process. And I'm like, we could have had a different mental perspective going into this with it. But from his 16th birthday through Christmas through the upcoming year, Joshua still maintained his faith and steadfastness. And he just says, God has a plan. I've, and I can say it because I've heard him share it uh, at different huddles. You know, he, he was on the sideline and he was cheering for his teammates. Uh, and, and he went through rehab and he got through it. And, you know, and it all worked out. Because it, actually, for us or for Joshua to an extent, COVID was a blessing. Because when his, when his senior year started in August... So he missed his entire junior year. So in senior year, when his year started, he wasn't ready to participate in activities yet. And so because COVID pushed everything back until the following semester, he was able to still focus for those next six months and get his knees stronger and to, and to be able to participate in. Uh, he tried actually tried cross country um, th- that year to try to get him back into shape, but he was p- participated in the limited basketball season that we had. And he participated in the soccer season. And then actually, I think we have a picture of it, I think. So that was, that was when he got home from the hospital. But then the next one, all right? So, you know, and I'm not saying this because I, you know, that I believe that Joshua did well because of his faithfulness, but I just want to say that it worked out in the end because at the end of his senior year, uh, Joshua threw the shot and discus for Lauren High School and actually advanced to state and was able to participate down in the state track meet as, as a discus thrower. And, um, and now he currently sits as the number two thrower in school history as well. And so, um, so it just, his patience, his faithfulness, I just, I'm, just, I'm proud of just the young man that he is. And we'll get into why him and my other son too, um, uh, with our, our last two points of love and gentleness. All right? So Paul tells us to pursue righteousness, a godly life or godliness, Faith and steadfastness, and then last two, love and gentleness. Um, and I've combined these two last two things um, that we're to pursue because I feel like they go hand in hand as well. Many times we see Jesus interacting with someone that isn't, that isn't a Pharisee or religious leader. He's speaking and interacting with them in a loving, gentle way. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that love is patient, kind. It's not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong, rejoices when the truth wins out. It never gives up, never loses faith, and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. If we're to walk in this kind of love, it will often look like gentleness, which is defined as power under control. This love and gentleness can be expressed in big, extravagant ways or small, simple ways in how you make people feel. And 
Um, this past week, uh, we had the opportunity to serve at um, the Orient High School basketball camp. Myself and my boys, we served as coaches and stuff, and my youngest son, Ben, he, he, he participated in it. There's some pictures here. And um, this young boy came to camp, and we were not aware of it, but he had some special needs. And so after the first day, um, L.A., the, Coach Anderson, you know, talked to the, the, the parent that dropped them off and, and exp, you know, expressed some stuff. But how my boys handled this young man um, was I had a lot of pride, all right? You know, from, for always from day one, it didn't matter. When we're at OSCO, my boys, I, we encourage them to serve, all right? And they served in the capacity of serving in twos and threes. And, um, but they served this young man, um, who after the first day really never really stepped foot in the gym again because he would, he would run and he would jump for whatever reason because Caleb was there for only a couple days because he had to work but this young man just ran to Caleb like he came in the gym on the second day saw Caleb standing there and just ran and jumped into his arms and then on the third day Joshua took him and they would just sit on the sideline and they'd play, do simple passes here and there if they were in the gym just do little passes and dribbling. Um, but then if, <laughs> after two hours, it was the camp disc length, after two hours, all of a sudden, Josh would come in at the closing circle carrying him. And we said, well, what'd you do today, Josh? And he goes, well, we hunted spies and ghosts. Um, we learned all about dinosaurs. He knows his dinosaurs, Dad. And, um, and as we're sitting there talking about it, the young man's leaving with his parent, and he turns back and goes, Josh, Josh, and he goes like this. And Josh goes, I got you. We're good. And I'm like, what was that? He goes, oh, we got secret spy watches on now. <laughs> and so my boys were the love of Christ to this young man through their actions. Small, simple. They made this young man's camp special for him. The coach probably would have preferred that Joshua and Caleb come and work with the other students so, you know, because they were good ball players and to teach and to pass on their knowledge to the younger class of kids. But this was their ministry for the week. And I'm so proud of them as a father and as a follower of Christ as to how they shared the love and gentleness of Jesus Christ with this young man and to make his week special. And you could see it in his, his parents' eyes when they picked him up. And the young man was sad and he had to leave for the last day of camp. And so as we close today, I just want to ask you, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Maybe your first step needs to pursue righteousness uh, or to be made right with God. And if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd encourage you to take a moment and confess your sins, seek forgiveness, and receive Jesus into your life. If you have that relationship with Jesus already, is what is there that you need to flee? If so, put that at the feet of Jesus. Whatever you have to flee, whatever God is convicting you of, put that at the feet of Jesus. He died for you so that you do not have to face that situation alone. Or maybe you don't have anything to flee. Maybe life is good. If so, I'd still challenge you to pursue faith, steadfastness, love, and gentleness. Don't just seek after it. Pursue it. Hunt it with 
and chase it and pursue it with a hunger that can only come from God. Let's pray.